Hi, and welcome to the second season of the Warfare in Conversation podcast. This time, I'm joined by friends who in relaxed conversation will walk us through spells of creativity, hardship, and what it takes to live a fulfilled life. As always, my deepest thanks extend to everyone who support Warfare, both on and offline, through purchasing the fruits of my own creativity and of all the incredible Warfare artists. And for now, enjoy the episode. For today's episode, I am joined by Martina. Martina grew up in a little town in the middle of Tuscany, and New Moon fans would be familiar with Volterra, and at the age of two was blessed with the arrival of a little autistic boy in her family, which later turned out to be the biggest impact and leading person in her life. She has always been interested in literature, which made her choice to pursue an accountancy diploma quite strange to her family. But that actually introduced her to the way business can be done for good and be directed to neurodiversity. She pursued a degree in management and after a series of coincidences undertook a PhD. Interestingly, almost everything that she has done has always had somehow her brother as an influential force, from writing blogs to photography. Hi Martina. Hi. Thank you so much for your time and for joining this conversation. It's a pleasure to have you as a friend and as a colleague. I wonder if we can kick off the conversation by picking up on, uh, on your bio. Um, so I'm really curious to learn about your childhood, your upbringing, what got you to where you are now. So, well, I think the main actor in this journey has been my autistic brother, which I, in a very fondly loved way, I call Ciccio, which is supposed to be Francesco, but his real name is Alessandro, uh, who basically is just two years younger than me, but who has been a leading friend in all my journey from high school to university, and actually is my, still my aspiration in my PhD nowadays. Yes, the main part of it has been him in all this journey and well, he brought me to Glasgow, which is an interesting part of it because I wanted to explore different aspects other than living in Tuscany. So it was also my springboard to exploring a different country, which was interesting in the sense I didn't want to detach from him, but physically I did. Other than that, I think what's interesting about me is basketball. It's another aspect which being tall 4'11 doesn't really fit <laughs> into playing basketball, but it's who I am. And I started when I was five years old, so keep going up to now, which has his ups and downs nowadays as every kind of sports, but teaches the camaraderie and the amazingness of the people around you, which is another skill that you may need to have in everyday mm-hmm. life. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And I think what you just said is extremely interesting. And I wonder if, and if you can connect basketball with, being a sister, a sibling to a neurodivergent, how does that marry? Do you feel like there is any connection? Probably 
team more than teamworks team friendships mm. i've been lucky to have had few teams where friendship was always at the core of the relationships in there so you're not a good team if you're not connected with the other person i think the relationship with my brother and so the for neurodiversity gain there is the way he has told me to love unconditionally even if the person around you doesn't really show you this love back or finding that way a middle ground to get this relationship going anyway so that's beautiful that's beautiful and i would love to jump into that but before we do i'm sure there is plenty of us listening that are not sure about what neurodiversity is and all this language that we're using and could you give us a brief background to some of the terminologies um, that would probably be useful to know moving forward with the conversation? Yeah, of course. So what is neurodiversity, first of all? And recently we've probably heard a lot about neurodiversity. And it's recently been used and came out as an umbrella term used to define all those neurodevelopmental conditions such as autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, ADHD and OCD that have like in a recent way to try to challenge the medical label attached to the diagnosis and seeing it as a deficit, but more focusing on the strength of the person. So yes, there is this neurodevelopmental condition, but the person hasn't to be devalued by that. What, so autism, as I said, is part, is one of these neurodevelopmental conditions and usually is defined as autism spectrum disorder. Some of in the field don't agree on disorder because it's still a medicalized term which is something important to point out within the neurodiversity paradigm and in the neurodiversity theories but the term spectrum is actually interesting because he shows the heterogeneity of the presentation and the severity of autism so usually when we discuss about autism we think about someone who as difficulties in social communication, interaction, and have restricted and repetitive pattern of behaviors, interests, and activities. And here I'm basically quoting the American Psychological Association definition of autism. But when we think about autism, we have to think about in this broad spectrum because each one of the autistic person you may find in your journey is different. So you have to understand the way they work and we even Mm. as neurotypicals so Mm. without neurodevelopmental condition work differently from one another so it's just a way to understand each other it's not because of the autism that they are different Mm -hmm. and are there any other conditions that come under neurodiversity so well most of us are probably familiar with dyslexia Mm -hmm. so difficulties mostly in reading and writing dyscalculia is actually another neurodiversity so difficulties with numbers and 
ADHD also is another common known one with moments of, I would say in a very colloquial way, moments of hype mm. and then moments of lows. And for instance, difficulties in concentrating sometimes or finding the way to get into some, doing something. Okay. okay, interesting. Thank you. That definitely clears things up for us. And you've touched on quite a few things already. And I wonder if we can go back a little bit and reflect on them. One thing that really uh, touched me was your idea of detaching from your brother, given that you are from Italy originally and you moved to Scotland to pursue studies here. How do you manage this relationship that you have with your brother long distance now? A lot of video calls, mm. probably, is one of the aspects. Mm -hmm. Although, uh, that's probably one aspect of his autism. So he doesn't look for me when I'm not there. Or he mentions me. So what well, probably one thing to put um, for is that maybe, uh, my, it's maybe like my brother is nonverbal. So... His has not the way of expressing, in a verbal way, sentiments of love or looking mm. at me in this way. Mm -hmm. But so when I'm away, he doesn't really look for me. He mentions me at home, or he actually uses my bedroom mm -hmm. <laughs> and my stuff <laughs> if he needs something. So that's something mm -hmm. good. But when I'm back, he's always so nice and we do have our set of routines and traditions so every time i came back if he can he come and picks me up at the airport with my mom or we do have on the first saturday then i'm back home our local market walk and then um breakfast in one of the bar that he loves mm -hmm. but all in all i'm also like he's annoying sister so <laughs> after a few days we come back into our siblings relationships where I annoy him because I'm the oldest one and he n not really implicitly asked me to go away so he picks me my luggage and put it in my bedroom like fill it and mm -hmm. then pick the airplane and come back to Scotland what else I can think about like I can compare our relationship with Casey and Sam in a typical which if any of you have seen the Netflix TV series is about this um autistic guy going off to university and Casey his sister which even if younger annoys me him a lot and actually they show how the family dynamics surrounding autism are particularly interesting, but there is always, most of the time, love within mm. them. Mm -hmm. Okay, super interesting. Um, I want to backtrack even farther. <laughs> so now we're at the point where you do have to manage this relationship with your brother long distance, but there was a time where you lived together for a long time, actually, <laughs> of course. And before I jump into that, I actually want to read out a quote of a, a journal article that you actually shared of an account um, of an autistic 
a boy who also had a sister. And he says, I have moderately severe autism and don't have speech. Life can be rather difficult as I can't communicate easily. Before going to sleep, my sister, who would talk to me about things, what she did at school, what her friends said, and some other ideas about what she wanted to do with her life. I listened. She was my best friend and made me feel accepted and cared for. I was less lonely when we were together. So that speaks for itself. I think there is just so much that we could unpack here. Um, but I wonder, how do you relate back to this short paragraph that encapsulates so much deepness, I think, and depth of that brother-sister relationship? Yeah, as I said, even if he's autistic and kind of in the severe side of the spectrum, we still have our normal let's say, and air quotes for normal mm. siblings relationships. So it's kind of being this unconditional love, this embeddedness, like this connection with one another. That even if it's not the usual arguing or doing things, together or not doing things together you still manage this siblings relationship as i said he argues with me he picks up my stuff and we do still have our routine but what characterized our relationship growing up was this connection let's say and as i was saying is this kind of bonding and relationship that we had mm -hmm which probably went on a common ground on relating on some common ground that some other people can relate to as well so uh me and my brother both love music mm. so it was kind of actually he goes to he has music therapy lessons and he enjoys music a lot but also the fact that i took singing lessons in our home environment was useful in the sense that sometimes he enjoys if I sing him songs or whatever, and this is our way to communicate. I also have to be straight here. I don't refrain myself of organizing activities that he may find tedious at the beginning, but then he loves. Mm. So a few years back, we went to his first concert or he followed me uh, in all my basketball games. And still nowadays, he, if he looks at some basketball games on TV, so even males tournament, he look at and point some of the players and states that, that one of them is me. <laughs> <laughs> Love so. that. Yeah, he's, so he's got a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> Four foot versus six foot. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Interesting. Um, I mean, I had a, I had a question in around how would you describe your brother? You've obviously given us away bits and pieces of it. Is there anything else you want to share? Uh, I don't. I think it's the most caring. Like, not the most caring. Obviously, people are caring, but he's very, very caring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> one uh, event is really like for me. It makes me laugh because I think about how people said autistics are not empathetic at all. Mm. And 
there are few instances growing up where I was crying and he came around me laughing mm-hmm. because I was crying and embodying at the at point the stereotypical autistic. Yeah. Not empathetic. But then I looked at him, told him what happened, and then he gave me a hug back. Mm. So that's probably one thing that will, I think characterizes my brother is not, is my brother. I don't know, it's like for me, I seriously, I find it sometimes difficult to say, to kind of describe him and his autism. Because mm-hmm. it's like, for me, is part of who he is. Mm-hmm. It's not any different from any other kind of siblings. Or at least I grew up in that yeah. kind of sibling relationship. So yeah. uh, that's my normal. Yeah, yeah. Because I think it's in- interesting to say that this is your only sibling. Yeah. yeah. And this is all you know. So that's my normal. Mm-hmm. And that actually, again, refines the concept of what is normal and what is abnormal, so... Mm-hmm. That's a nice, actually, point maybe to refer back to the title of this episode because we, we jointly agreed on wired different clothing, which to the clothing part we'll get to, but I like the wired different and then you also obviously mentioned what is normal, what is, what is um, yeah, referred to as normal and, yeah. Yes, yeah, like, I actually read the term wired up differently in a title from a paper from Ortega and Chuduri, pardon me <laughs> for the pronunciation, <laughs> uh, where they were discussing actually the concept of neurodiversity and the neurodiversity paradigm. So all this perspective on neurodiversity that consider all these net neurodevelopmental variation as valuable and natural in mm. the human ecosystem. So if we think that, for instance, an ecosystem to work requires different actors mm-hmm. and they wear different show that they perform different functions and they differ from one another, as humans in our own human ecosystem, we actually need to have different subjects that perform different actions and they function differently. Mm. So that's probably one way I would explain it. And coming back to Wired Up, this just basically refers to the fact that their brain, like neurodivergent brain, connect information work in a different way from us. So Mm -hmm. are connected, wired. Mm-hmm. Differently. differently and that affects also for instance sensory sensitivities and other aspects that for us maybe are not important in our daily living but that mm-hmm. for them can can constitute something particularly annoying or other yeah 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 okay i have two more questions maybe there'll be more i don't know can't promise uh but two more questions that stem from our previous conversation. I wonder if there is anything that's most challenging about the relationship you have with your brother. Mm. Mm, don't know. Sometimes it's probably frustrating when he cannot 
tell you what he has and you see there is an evident pain in his eyes mm -hmm. but or sometimes it's just annoying when you walk in the street and people point to you because he's probably having a tantrum or is having one fidgety or rocking aspect of autism and it's not annoying because people point at you it's just annoying because you think what does he think about it mm. or what can I do to actually let those people understand what is going on? Mm -hmm. So that's... Because unfortunately, as much as we, as we talk about it, there is still a lot to discover and mm -hmm. to bring to communities on neurodiversity autism. So one comment that I've heard about dyslexic, for instance, is like, um, in high school they were defined as thick hmm. and mm -hmm. it's not being thick Yeah, but it's still something we're working on and just for instance if we look at neurodiversity literature the fact that neurodiversity as a term came across about in 1998 about that time if you think about it it's just like 25 years old hmm. So we still have to work on it. Yeah, 25 years ago we labeled it, but what did we do with it? Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Okay. I mean, this can be a bit of a con controversial question. I don't know, but I'll pose it and you can tell me uh, how you feel about it. When I listened to your basketball uh, passion, I wondered whether basketball is A, something that you have just for yourself, and B, could it, is it somewhat of an escape? Or it was, maybe not? It was not. <laughs> it's not. It's not. Uh, so I got into basketball because family. Mm -hmm. So actually my family runs the tradition to play basketball. Although most of them are 5'11". So <laughs> if you can tell, Kate is a bit of an issue here. Uh, but no because actually he became a way to involve my brother in it mm -hmm. so he came to see my games mm -hmm. and cheers at games he also tries sometimes to mm -hmm. throw the ball at bas at the basket so it was another way to include him in the daily activities or including him in my growing up mm -hmm. so i was only me being active and participating in his childhood but it was also him being involved in mine so what can I remember uh, well he attended all my basketball games growing up so well 99% of them he was mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. and yeah it, it was also if you want to say it on the other angle it was also a way to expose him Hmm. to other people and other events which could have triggered some sensory issues or something yeah. because yeah. he was actually hypersensitive as mm -hmm. a kid mm -hmm. uh, he manages way better now but so it was a way to for him to engage with others and for others to get to know him because yeah. as I said there is so much that we need to bring to the fore about neurodiversity and autism in particular mm -hmm. okay interesting fair enough <laughs> <laughs> um 
I think now we can slowly move on to the second part of the title, which is clothing. And this actually sparked the idea for this particular episode for me, because I went to a conference back in July where we were exploring and discussing clothing for all, meaning all, everyone and anyone, uh, whether that's neurodivergent or whether that's someone who struggles financially or whatever else. And one particular um, presentation was around clothing for neurodiversity. And it made me think about what it means and why do we need different type of clothing or differently designed clothing. Um, and what was interesting for me when, I'm, when I started to do some research was that there are actually brands that exist um, that exist primarily to serve these group, groups of people. So one of it is, I mean, let's endorse them, Rare Birds. <laughs> <laughs> and they do great things. And it's a brand by two new, by two, uh, sorry, by by a woman who who has uh, two neurodivergent siblings, and so from her experience, she wanted to bring products onto the market that would serve best their needs. And when I was browsing through that website, what drew my attention was actually some of the product descriptions because I th- I felt like they encapsulate some, if not a lot, of the needs. As you said, sensory. Uh, challenges and whatnot and to illustrate I think it would be nice for me to read it and bear with me because it is a bit lengthy uh, but I think it would be worthwhile um, so one of one of those product descriptions was keep your kid cozy with the sensory friendly hoodie made with snug light fabric that feels super soft to the touch and adapts to their body's temperature the deep front pockets of this autism friendly hoodie give your child extra security and an easy way to carry any fidgets or other essentials, while the cuffs with thumb holes um, help regulate your child's sensory system. The game-changing magnetic zip instead, of, uh, instead makes self-dressing a simple and stress-free experience, giving your child a great sense of achievement. On the inside, the zip uh, placket ensures that any zip seems cause no discomfort with the zipper top doubles as a fidget. The lack of labels and flat seams all around also help reduce any irritation or stress. Whew. Right, so that's, that's that. And I feel like there was quite a few elements that we could discuss. But first of all, I just wonder, have you yourself experienced this kind of clothing before, given that you have a neurodivergent in your home? And, and if not, what are your thoughts about it? So we never experienced that. Mm-hmm. And I was actually very surprised. The pleasant, it was a pleasure to see that there are organizations that works around it. Uh, because if, and I can refer to two uh, net, uh, Netflix TV series. One I've already mentioned, Atypical, where there is this scene where the mom runs up and down the stairs and is at the phone with a company trying to get her son prefer, uh, preferred t- uh, t-shirt mm-hmm. polo because it's made of that type of fabric and he feels comfortable in it. And also the extraordinary attorney Wu where 
for her first day of work, the father buys blazers for her and cuts off all the labels. Hmm. So I knew these issues existed for some, in this case, to autistics. And, but never experienced that and wasn't aware of companies working mm-hmm. around that, which is really, really good because these... So we were talking about before about spectrum. Mm-hmm. And as I said, the variation is high. So you can have hypersensitive autistics and hypersensitive autistics. So whereas maybe for my brother, this is not an issue. Mm-hmm. For some others, just having an able scratching on the back can be really, really annoying and bothering. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think there are, there's so much that we can do in the fashion industry to cater for, for people from all backgrounds and needs and whatnot. And um, I found it really positive to see that there are brands like this and exist. And I hope that it will be spread more broadly and more more accessible. Um, and yeah, it's interesting what you say in terms of the spectrum. And I wonder, kind of zooming out a little bit from your individual case, is there... Are there any other, I, I, I don't know, if for, for lack of a better word, symptoms that you could maybe describe of, autis, of an autism or... Mm, not really. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have the... Not the personal knowledge or the theoretical one to mm-hmm. say these are the symptoms. Mm-hmm. I know my personal experience, I, and that's probably what drove me over the year and mm-hmm. into the PhD, focusing on neurodiversity. Still now, if I'm talking, and I probably have to apologize to all the other neurodivergents, which are not autistics, most of my thoughts and reflection are mm-hmm. based on my personal experience of my brother autism. So... I may not, with my work, capture all of your experiences. I'm yeah. trying my best with my research, but... Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. To point out. Yeah, no, makes sense, makes sense. And it would be interesting to actually... It's a learning curve, right? It's a learning opportunity, and it's... A, um, I think in your research you are being inclusive in terms of who you will be talking to, and then everyone's experience and account will be quite different. Yeah. Well, that brings us nicely to your PhD, actually, because that was one of my points in the conversation. Um, so you are my colleague <laughs> at the University of Glasgow, and you are doing your PhD on neurodivergent youth, so very much on the topic of today, <laughs> given that you're in your 20s and so is your brother. <laughs> and kind of touching on that now, could you give us a bit of a background in terms of what is it you're researching uh, and then we can move on to to follow up with some clothing stuff. Yeah, so um, my research started as an investigation of disabled in the digital workplace. So considering the increased digitalization, how they affected disability employment and the disability employment gap that we know and we hear a lot talking about in the workplace. From there, uh, my personal 
probably interests and then also they need to focus on one specific disability brought me to focusing on neurodiversities. Probably another caveat here is the term disability. Mm. Which Do you want to dive into it? Can just like mention it yes. in a very broad sense because some neurodivergent may not self-identify with disabled, whereas, so let's say the disability is just a label, so being enabled to do something in some particular circumstances. If we relate back to the, especially the social model of disability, which mm -hmm. considers that an individual put in an environment may be disabled by the way the environment is structured or people and or people attitudes. Mm -hmm. So this can be something a person relates to or not. So let, we define neurodiversity as a disability, but actually there is a lot mm -hmm. underneath it that mm -hmm. can be discussed. But let's say I picked neurodiversity and then obviously the attention falls uh, from the initial proposal on early careers and working around this literature what actually came across there seems to be a difference between the expectation and the actual experiences of employment that neurodivergent youth have mm -hmm. so my research will look will aims to look and explore why this happened and how this happened and what are the factors that brings neurodivergent youth to end up in the certain um, occupation rather than others. We should also note that neurodiversity um, has one of the lowest employment level mm. in the UK and between the other disability groups. So for instance, according to recent UK data, autistics, uh, only 29% of autistics are in employment. Mm. And also the National Autistic Society has published some report saying that also there is a huge variation between part-time and full-time employment which also affects mm -hmm. employment condition of mm -hmm. people so mm -hmm. that's most of my aims for the research which is particularly given in a management sense but it's actually really really interesting especially if you bring in the digital workplace mm -hmm. and all the assumptions that there may be that working from home, remote working are more inclusive settings. Mm -hmm. Are they? Mm -hmm. That's the question. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is import important questions to be, to be uh, had. But yes, um, I wonder actually, before we move on, is there, do you know if there is a difference between the UK and Italy in that sense? Not that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. UK data, um, so most of the research actually they have tapped into is from US, UK, Australia and Canada. Mm -hmm. That's the main one. So Italian data are not... Not friendly. I'm not, I'm not aware of them. Mm -hmm. um, but um, Italy as a few other countries like Germany, UK, uh, and then the Netherlands host few neurodiversity friendly, uh, yeah, let's say neurodiversity friendly, but neurodivergent organizations. Mm -hmm. So actually run by 
run by usually as rare birds by um, some relatives of neurodivergent people, mm. but that employ almost solely neurodivergent mm-hmm. employees. I mm-hmm. can name a few of them, especially Stern, Oticon. So mm-hmm. they are interesting and they are starting to affirm themselves in, they have affirmed themselves in the last few years, especially in the IT sector. Okay. Are there, is there, are there or is there conversation around having quotas in place for, for employing neurodivergent or is that not some having part of sorry. quotas? So oh, certain okay. non- Yeah. Um, not really. Mm-hmm. Not sure, to be honest. I think, as far as I know, is related to the disability quota. Yeah. So then more yeah. generally part right. in diversity kind yeah. of legislation. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay, interesting. Well, that leads us on to um, linking workplace, neurodivergent youth and clothing. Because, and also even rare birds and the conversation we had in around what's suitable, what's, what, what constitutes suitable clothing. What, what are your thoughts in around clothing for neurodivergent in the workplace? Given that, you know, a lot of companies, organizations require you to wear either uniforms or, you know, formal attire or whatnot. So how do you see that as a challenge and what could be done? I'll bring my brother's example as an opening. Mm-hmm. Every morning when he pe- when my mom tried to pick to pick clothes for him, mm-hmm. he looked at the clothes and three days out of five he puts them back in the wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> and picks new one. Okay. So can I jump in and yeah. ask a quick question? How does the clothes that your mom chooses differ to what he chooses? sometimes it's just a matter of color to okay them. like fine well that's absolutely and i would choose my color <laughs> exactly every one of us yeah will yeah. do that mm-hmm. and that's probably the bottom line of this mm-hmm. so i get the clothing attire in organization and the dress code that there may be obviously in some formal environments or some formal situation you still need mm-hmm. to have a degree of formality in there or there is still those implicit norms that you still have to relate to but can we jump a little bit step back of that and think about what really the person needs because mm. each one of us is uncomfortable stay like each woman will be uncomfortable being on high heels the whole day yeah for sure (laughs) and why do we have to do that in certain work environments where we have to be to stay in front of a laptop Mm -hmm. all day Mm -hmm. i don't mean we don't need to still observe some dressing codes Mm -hmm. because obviously we are in a workplace and in some circumstances we are facing some like facing people person-oriented jobs and whatever yeah but it's like so the question we should ask sometimes is like is that necessary mm-hmm. so bring some common sense to the picture yes. rather mm-hmm. than 
even like some companies have the cozy Friday. Yeah. I work and then you can go in and joggers or yeah. So no. And why Friday? Yes. And no other no other days. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's the kind of question that mm-hmm. I look at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's more: Do we really need to impose some norms that at this point in time are quite obsolete? Mm-hmm. In some circumstances, some contexts are not mm, touch touching upon a general picture here. So. Yeah, and that was super interesting because even from uh, sustainability, but not even that, maybe ethics of fashion, when you look at organizations like SmartWorks that provide women and men with a special attire for interviews, for instance, just to get into the job because they have barriers, again, maybe it's economic or others, where they don't actually own clothes that will enable them to join the workforce they are, they are joining and knowing that beyond that single interview they will never have to use a, a tie and a, and, a, and shirts why why do we impose that right yeah so that's and i think even more so given that you know as we were talking about neurodivergent have their own challenges even more so should be should be a part of the conversation yeah, so another example that comes to my mind, and uh, maybe someone will relate to it, some not, mm-hmm. but um, is sensory sensitivity is not just the label scratch on the back, but it can be hot and cold. Mm. So imagine someone, and we kind of have been there where you are in a place which is really, really warm, or you feel you are warm. Yeah. And you are forced within like a shirt and a tie. Mm-hmm. You're still feeling more. Like, you cannot just put a normal t-shirt like or a polo, which is still pretty casual yeah. and okay. But yeah. you have to suffer the like the warmth of mm-hmm. being dressed like that. It's just like sometimes pointless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's uh, really. Uh, does not make work easier. Exactly. <laughs> Bottom line, and we might underperform, or, or or especially in the cases of neurodivergent. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you look at here, it's like in the quote, the part of the website you quoted, when it says "not light fabric," mm-hmm. is super soft to touch, but probably and adapts to body temperature. Mm-hmm. That's one point. So there is this. There has to be also a selection of it. Mm-hmm. And obviously, it will not come easy at first for a neurodivergent person to adapt to this clothing. But with time, they will get to know what they are comfortable with. And here we come, kind of come back to the idea of behavioral training. Mm-hmm. So those medicalized vision of autism, especially in neurodiversity, they have to have behaviorally trained to perform as neurotypical, so Mm -hmm. as what is considered, and uh, quoting another author, the majority brain. Okay. So ours. Mm -hmm. And so they were trained to perform as us. And if you impose to dress in some ways they cannot find the fabric or they're not comfortable with, you're just imposing them in another way what 
that behavioral training was doing years ago and sometimes still does because it's not a practice completely mm -hmm. forget forget yeah and i think bottom line is it's it's adding yet another layer of boundaries and barriers to getting these neurodivergent and uh, into workplaces and increasing that was it 29 percent yeah for figure. autistics yeah mm -hmm, for autistics yeah yeah all right well I wanted to wrap up the conversation actually and ask you if there's any final points of reflection, if there's anything you want to share, any message that should be added here and maybe was not. I think we touched upon most of the, of the aspects. Mm -hmm. As I said, I apologize for the neurodivergent listening to this because maybe, maybe they don't relate to many of my words mm -hmm. and that's as I said that has been my normal growing up mm -hmm. so and my normal has been su being surrounded by my brother and few other very amazing neurodivergent person that I've met during my journey both in Italy and in during my PhD which I'm really grateful mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I think but the bottom line message is to try and be inclusive. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by trying to be inclusive, and this covers all the aspects that we touched upon, from clothing to workplace to childhood. Mm -hmm. Because even in childhood, we can see the kids put down in the corner and not included by their peers, is just to be open. Mm -hmm. And... If you don't know, and that's one thing that I always tell to my friends, I don't mind, or peop the new people that I met, it's like, I don't mind that you ask me questions mm -hmm. by, about my brother. There is no such a thing of stupid question if you do it with the, the willingness to learn more about the person or the condition mm -hmm. they can function well in. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's... That's it. So we just have to be inclusive in that sense. Trying to be as open as possible uh, to understand really what we are deal like we are engaging with. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I can resonate with what you're saying in terms of for us, the outsiders, it feels like we don't want to say the wrong thing or ask the wrong thing. And I don't think, again, just to mirror your words, that there are wrong questions or silly questions, um, especially if this comes from a place where you're just curious to learn more and want to better engage and improve your engagement, right? And have a better relationship with whoever it is. And I think your message with openness is definitely um, a positive one. And I think even it stems sort of across um, private individuals, individuals to businesses and organizations and people with power and whatnot um, to really make these groups of people more included into the society bottom line right because as we're saying I think we're all wired in a very strange different way in some to some capacity right we are 
I'm not going to be. I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to say much more about it. But that's my. <laughs> yeah, but like we can relate to some people yeah. better than others. Yeah, and exactly. Just because each one of us thinks and acts differently, that's mm-hmm. not like the that doesn't consider for us a problem. Yeah. Whereas if we look that there is some neurodevelopmental stuff with it, then it becomes a a barrier and a, yeah yeah. Yeah, an invisible barrier of some sort. But yeah, no, I hope that um, this sheds light and it was a lovely uh, personal experience. And thank you so much for sharing all of your uh, thoughts and, and experiences. Um, I found it uh, super interesting and of extreme value to, to have you here. And I hope everyone else found it just as equally wonderful. So thank you so much again for your time. Thank you for hosting me and allowing me to ramble about my brother. (laughs) Of course. For hours. No, of course. Thank you so much. Thank you.